belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for August 8th, 2021 is called Table Manners. The speaker is Laura Holland and the location is Pratt Place Barn. I am Laura Holland, and I'm a member of the teaching team here, and I am so excited that we are all here today, and um, if you were here the last time I spoke, I'm so excited that beads didn't fall over the floor this time. Like, I really feel like we got this. We started well. So, growing up in the South, I heard a lot about hospitality, and it was always rule-based. There were just always a lot of rules. So there were rules about what order we were supposed to introduce guests to each other. There were rules about place cards and proper table settings, tablescapes, as Tim likes to refer to them as. There were rules about that. And if you were a lucky guest that was able to receive a Tupperware of leftovers, there were even rules about that because you were never supposed to return Tupperware empty. Typically, when we think about hospitality, we think about it in terms of what it means as the host. How do we, as the host, make sure our guests are well taken care of and are feeling welcomed? But what does hospitality look like when we're not the hosts? What's our role then, and what's expected of us at that point? When I worked for the Department of Defense, I Part of my role was briefing military officers and ambassadors. And we were always taught to follow the bluff rule. So bluff stood for bottom line up front. So here's the bluff for this morning. As we were just singing about, in God's church, at God's table, we are not the hosts. We're fellow guests, and we're fellow guests that have just shown up a bit earlier than others. But we are still called to show hospitality. So what if that never empty Tupperware rule is actually the most instructive for what hospitality in the church should look like, at least as far as how it positions us and what our role is? We have received something. We are expected to give something back. Spiritually speaking, hospitality is our heritage. This is our legacy. The people of Israel were the most hospitable nation of their time, and they had instructions in Leviticus, for example, urging them to treat foreigners or guests well, to love them like one of their own, with a reminder that they too were once foreigners in Egypt. Hospitality continues to be a central theme throughout scripture, though we see an evolution in the way that is both discussed and practiced. In the gospel, we see two shifts that matter for us today. The first is a reminder that hospitality is important in its own right, but that's not where it ends. It's not a standalone. Inclusion, action beyond the initial act of hospitality, is expected. And Jesus' parables, one of which we're going to look at later this morning, also right sets the role that we are to take 
and play. We're not the hosts. We're not the decision makers. I love being the decision maker. We're not the ones in charge. I also kind of love being in charge. We're not the ones determining the guest list. We are the guest. So another important contextual element for a conversation on hospitality is the idea of Imago Dei. So Imago Dei is Latin for image of God. And it's the basis for why we're even talking about hospitality in the first place, why we even care. The first chapter of the Bible centers around the creation story with special attention given to humans being created in the image or likeness of God. Genesis 1.27 states, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Because we're created in God's image, each one of us bears God's image. All of us, without exception. So this grants each of us intrinsic worth and value. Not only that, but we are each a reflection of and reflecting back to God. Our image is of God, our worth is from God, and our reflection points back to God. But it doesn't end there. The orthodox understanding of Imago Dei is not just that each individual is created in the image of God, but that all of humanity, we were all made in God's image. So this isn't something that sets us apart, but something that binds us together. So further, this means the more different type of people we incorporate into our lives and into our churches, the greater the glimpse of God we will gain. So not only are we better known in community, but through community we better know God. So not only do we belong to God because his image is in all of us, but by being created in the image, we also belong to one another. God's reflection in each of us not only points back to God, but to each other. And it's a way to more fully know God as God's image in each of us more fully reveals his character. Kind of feel like that was just a long geometry proof, but I still stand by it. So our lineage and the concept of Imago Dei provides an understanding of the why of hospitality but what about the how? In churches, we hear a lot about the table. We just heard about table groups. And the table is used both literally and as a metaphor. The table literally is where many of the stories we read about Jesus took place. It's where he interacted with both the religious establishment of his day, where he interacted with those who were outcasts. It was considered unclean and generally undesirable. It's been said that Jesus was killed because of who he ate with or those with whom he shared a table. Metaphorically, being invited to a table communicates inclusion, communicates belonging. It's a way to be hospitable. Tables are where people reconcile, where they build relationships. So when we ask people today to come to the table or to take a seat at the table, we're typically referencing those realities. But again, whose table is it? Our scripture today is Luke 14, 12 through 24. Ended up backing it up a little bit from what was originally um, put out there. But I would encourage you to read through the entirety of Luke 14 this week because the whole chapter speaks to the themes that we're breaking down today. 
And in a series of parables and instructions, Jesus is sitting at a table. He's eating dinner with the Pharisees, and he's seeking them to reconsider their ideas about who is in and who is out, who's invited and who isn't. And he speaks very directly about how they are to be paid, what their role in this is supposed to be. Pharisees often get a bad rap. The one thing that might be helpful for us to remember is that most of the things that we judge them for today are things that were just driven by them being motivated, trying to be the best, most righteous, most faultless Jews that they could be. They were trying to do the right thing as they understood it. Jesus revealed how their hyper-focus on right and wrong, in and out, caused them to miss the mark. So at this dinner party, Jesus has already reminded his fellow diners of the need to put people's needs before legalism and the importance of humility, specifically when choosing where to sit at a dinner party. This is another table-related example of something that's both literal and metaphorical. And then he goes on to say, starting in verse 12, when you host a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors so that you can then be invited by them in return and get repaid. But when you host an elaborate meal, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the meal with Jesus heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will feast in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But one after another, they all began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going out to examine them. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married and I cannot come. So the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the master of the household was furious and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and alleys of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Then the slave said, sir, what you instructed has been done and there is still room. So the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the country roads, go even further out and urge people to come in so that my house will be filled. For I tell you, not one of those individuals who were invited will taste my banquet. Jesus wasn't really one to bury the lead, even though he didn't answer this as directly as they probably wanted. But this story ended with, for I tell you, not one of those individuals will taste my banquet. There's obviously a lot we could break down in that statement, but our focus for today, that we're told very clearly whose banquet it is, whose table it is. This is setting the stage to move from the literal to the figurative. For Jesus to be able to express, I am talking about me. This banquet is my church. This dinner party is for those who are following me. It is my table. I am the host. And like, I have to assume the Pharisees at the table were left wondering, if it's your banquet, Jesus, what's my role? We should be asking ourselves the same thing, except for us this morning, we already know the answer because we've said it many times, we are the guests. 
So if we're the guest, what does hospitality look like? What does it mean to be a good guest? What do table manners look like from that perspective? So in this story, there are ultimately two types of guests. Those who were invited and didn't go, and those who were invited and did. Their response was really the only difference. So some of those invited shared their reasons for not coming. Work got in the way. There were family commitments, relational commitments. These are excuses that I've used. We've all likely used at one point or another. But the first rule of being a good guest is showing up. That's step one, is showing up. Because their presence mattered to the host, and their presence mattered for the other guests. So I'm not one that typically thinks that it's wise to read every story in scripture and assume a one-for-one personal application. This one, however, I think applies. This one, I think we're safe to say, we can take something from this. So I just have to ask you, where have you been invited that you're not showing up? And what are other people missing out on because you're not there? I think it's easy to think that we won't be missed or noticed if we don't show up. Sometimes we're going through seasons of life where we think our presence might be more of a burden than anything else. I would just like to say right now that the reality is that you have something unique that only you can bring to the table. What is it? Another important element of this story is who was invited. To state this very clearly again, all of them were invited by the host, including those who Jesus' listeners would have assumed had no right to be there. Those who were sick or who had met misfortune in some way. At that time, they were believed to be being punished for something that they had done or that someone in their their you know, lineage had done. So in other words, they deserved it. And being in communion with them was not only problematic, it was wrong. These are the people who had the Pharisees casually asked after receiving the invitation, so who else is coming? Who else is going to be there? They would have been shocked to hear them listed. By specifically calling out those who he knew the Pharisees would choose to exclude from the banquet if they were in charge, Jesus left no room for questioning who was meant by everyone. To whom do you have a hard time extending an invitation to Jesus' banquet? Or, asked another way, if you were sitting at that table, who would Jesus need to list specifically for you to be sure that they were included on his invite list? For those who accept the invitation and show up, their job isn't over. Our job isn't over. Once we arrive at the party, we have a hospitality role as guests there too. When we were talking about this in our teaching team meeting this week, Alex mentioned that being a guest at Jesus' banquet is less like attending a highly organized gala. It's more like being a guest at a family member's home. You're not the one in charge but you have been given refrigerator rights, 
you're probably going to be expected to answer the door the next time it knocks. And it would really look bad if you didn't stay behind and help clean the dishes every once in a while. This example <laughs> helped to provide some clarity because, yeah, we're the guests, so we're not the gatekeepers. There's a whole list of things that are no longer our responsibility if we are not the host, but that does not mean we don't still have a role and responsibility in things that we are supposed to do. Things we get to do, we get to open the doors. We get to scooch our chairs to the side to make room for other people. We get to turn to the, our fellow guests and mingle. And if we were there first, we get to say, hey, this is what you missed. Tell me a little bit about you. What do you bring to this table? How do we shift as a community because you are here now? When we're not in charge of the guest list, that forces us into relationship, sometimes willingly, sometimes not, into relationship with those with whom we otherwise wouldn't be. Okay, have you ever been invited to a guest, or invited to a wedding, rather, and you show up and there is, <laughs> oh, saying, no, never, but do a wedding. Invited to a wedding and you show up and there is this board and it, you look and you find where your name is and where you're going to be sitting and realizing you are now at a table where the only other person you know is the person that you came with. In those moments, my introvert self has to fight every natural inclination to get out my phone and just isolate, to just talk about how great that bread looks and, you know, the, the place settings. Because as a hospitable guest, our role is to turn to the person next to us and say, how do you know the couple? When we are hospitable guests, we engage others with curiosity. That is a huge part of it. Because this curiosity, it builds connections that start to build community. And I just have to say that sometimes those assigned tables that probably started out as just kind of like the misfits, like we have two here that don't have a place, we have another one here that we don't know what to do with, they end up oftentimes being the most fun. Part of that is because they've created their own identity because there was not some assumed commonality or predetermined roles when they came into it. Their starting point was a shared affection for the host. One of my favorite pictures of the church is a quote from A.W. Tozer, and he spells out the power and the beauty behind relationships that build on that shared affection. He writes, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. At Jesus's banquet, our goal is not to be at a table with people who are just like us. The more different kinds of people there are, the greater the picture of God we are given. And our shared affection of the host 
that is what is going to align us in ways that we would never imagine on our own. So what if you're at a table and maybe there is not that kumbaya moment? What if your place card is next to a fellow guest that had you been in charge? Absolutely would not have been invited. What then? In that moment, one of the most important things to remember as a hospitable guest is that our role is to honor the host and to intuit the desires of the host. Okay, so one of my guilty pleasures, except not so guilty, is watching The Real Housewives of whatever city is currently airing right now. It's almost every season they have a dinner party where one of the housewives hosts all of the other wives, and um, they come over, and it is a source of drama that is typically at least a two-episode story arc. It's great. So this has led to behavior that I am not basing any of my examples on today. You know, their behavior is not really great because they'll show up to someone's home and they'll flip tables, like not in the Jesus way, like not a good way. They'll switch around or remove people's place cards. They'll disinvite other guests. They bring up topics of conversation that are meant only to exclude or to hurt others. Or maybe they bring up topics of conversation to elevate themselves or those to talk about those things that like clearly are delineating who in the group right now is in and who is out. And viewers are rightly appalled by this behavior. Even when ratings are good, message boards, I already told you I was deep in this, so I'm reading message boards. Message boards are full of people that are outraged by this behavior. They are calling these women controlling. They're calling themselves centered. They're saying that what they're doing is hurtful. Yet the last time I watched a dinner party episode, what I found myself thinking was, wow, if this is not an acutely accurate picture of the American church today. We as guests have taken it upon ourselves to remove place cards, to disinvite other guests, and to bring up topics of conversation that are meant only to exclude others, to elevate ourselves, or to clearly draw lines of who is in and who is out. We have gotten so caught up in the business of the other guests that we have forgotten to honor the host. We have forgotten his desires. And that host that we're honoring, we can trust him. We can trust him because there is enough for everyone. In the parable, the servant was sent back out because there was still more room. God is a God of abundance. We do not serve a zero-sum God, and his table is not a zero-sum table. When we forget our role as fellow guests and try to play host instead, we often get bogged down in the things that aren't ours to worry about. The gospel story of the loaves and fishes, I think, is instructive here. What seemed to the disciples is not possibly enough to provide for everyone ended up doing just that, and the amount of leftovers exceeded what they even started with. And those served in the story didn't have to prove any qualifications or level of faith to receive the blessing. They received them because they had responded yes to an invitation and were there. They were there. As fellow guests, 
let's make sure that we're not restricting God's blessings from others. And let's certainly make sure that we're not elbowing them away from the table. Our presence doesn't take a seat away from anybody else. Nobody else's presence takes a seat from us. Kind of like if Willy Wonka was the one making the tables, and instead of an everlasting gobstopper, it's this everlasting table that goes on and on. There's always room at the table, and there is always enough. In Romans 12, 13, Paul provides instructions to pursue hospitality. This tells us that hospitality is not just a reactive response to presented needs, but is an active positioning. This is looking for ways to serve other guests and to meet needs before they're even felt. So not only are we showing up and engaging with curiosity, those are both necessary, but a proactive awareness, maybe even a supernatural awareness, is essential. This is something that takes practice. It's one of the thoughts behind these table groups. This is a place to practice, to practice being in relationship with people that maybe you wouldn't have invited if you were in charge. Hopefully you would have. Hopefully you realize that you're that table that your shared affection of the host has drawn you together in ways that you would never imagine. But this is a way for us to practice. So Jane shared a story in our meeting this week about attending a dinner party with her family and whispering a reminder down the line to her girls, now is the time. This is the time to put into practice everything I've told you, everything you've been taught about how to be a good guest. And as she was sharing this, not only did it immediately take me back to receiving a very similar whisper, like I was transported, but also to giving that similar, similar speech. But it also made me wonder, from whom are we learning our table manners? Is this something that's taught or caught? Is it both? Where, as guests to Jesus' banquet, are we learning how to behave? Who taught us when to show up and how to engage or to interact? Who taught us when and how and whom to serve? And for me, the natural extension of those questions are, what are we directly and indirectly teaching those who are coming behind us? Who is learning their table manners from watching you? And do your table manners reflect the host's desires as we pursue hospitality? So as we take some time to reflect on these questions or anything else that, you know, that came to mind this morning, I'd like to invite up the band and those who are serving communion. Communion, this represents one of the most important tables in our history. This is where one of the greatest shows of hospitality was expressed and roles were flipped. The Last Supper is the meal that we are celebrating and remember when we take communion. It was at this table that Jesus took the bread and broke it as a representation of his body and commanded us to remember him as we ate it. He took the cup and poured it out representing his blood and sacrifice for us, commanding us to remember him as we took the elements. So as we receive the elements, may we remember and remember 
come back together in a way that points each other to Christ. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.